Hey guys, what's up week 202 and let's start this video out with some mistakes some corrections Of course, I had some uh, Yeah, so apparently last week I was reading and it, the word was epitome and I tongue-tied over it and I was like what is wrong with me? But every once in a while, I'll see words like epitome or um, uh, f f words like that. And it'll just, uh, the other words lost my mind too. And it'll completely leave my mind because it's such a strange spelling for a word like that, that I'm just like, okay, or epitav or something, something like that. And I've always had trouble with those three words, epiphany, epitome, and epitad. And I still, I still can't say that word right now. So it's always like, I, I've seen those three words and I always just have like a brain fart on them. I'm sorry. I'm an idiot. I'm not perfect, obviously. And um, so I get a couple comments and people are like, old boy's not Japanese. I'm like, what, the, what are you talking about? What? Of course it's not. It's South Korean. And then like, I'm like, did I say that? Did I say something like that? So I listened to the review and I'm almost re-listening to it. I'm almost through. And at the very end, it's like, I like how Japanese movies look. I'm like, what? Uh, so even I make obvious stupid mistakes that I know the answer to. I apologize. And I just watched a couple of his movies recently, Stoker and Joint Security Area. And he always is brought up as one of the like premier South Korean directors. Um, so I have no idea what I was thinking. And his name isn't even sound Japanese at all. So it's just complete idiocy on my part. It happens. Uh, if I have corrections, please correct me. I mean, if I make mistakes, it happens. And if you're doing a lot of stuff and just talking, sometimes you babble on and just say really stupid shit. Um, it happens. You guys obviously know that. So let's start this week out with uh, Nosferatu in Venice from Severn Films. Uh, you know, I had only seen the cover of this one, and I was obviously interested, um, but I didn't know too much about it. I knew that Klaus Kinski was in it, of course. He's passed, uh, put all over the cover of the thing. So, and it was an Italian film. And I'm a big sucker for Italian horror films um, from pretty much up until, like, uh, kind of the downfall in the mid-90s. So uh, that's pretty much my cutoff at being, like, and seeking anything out um, before that. Um, so anyways, I did not know that this was supposedly, like, a semi-sequel, unofficial sequel to Herzog's Nosferatu with Klaus Kinsey, which is a really great movie, visually amazing, just really good, solid, amazing kind of film. So, uh, yeah, so I start watching this, and uh, I see the cast. I knew that they had a pretty decent cast besides Kinsky, had Christopher Plummer, legendary actor, and, and Donald Pleasance. And I had heard um, the Severin uh, podcast, which you guys should check out, and they were mentioning that Donald Pleasance, all he did was sit and eat on the set, and I was like, okay, that's not what's going to happen here. But uh, they, they were pretty correct. It's kind of a subdued performance from Donald Pleasance, except pretty much um, one scene towards the end of the film that I'll get into later. But uh, it, it's a strange plot, and, and it was at points, it takes place during this like infamous uh, parade at a certain time, so it's like a period piece as well. But uh, as someone actually came in the room and, and glimpsed at it and said, is this a period piece or what? Because like the lamps and electricity seems a little dated. So I was just like, is it a period? It was kind of confusing in that kind of aspect. Visually, I think it, it looks pretty solid. It's got a decent atmosphere. There's lots of these scenes of Klaus Kinski just kind of wandering around in the fog and on boats. And he's in Venice, so they definitely took advantage of that and all these kind of things. So it's a visually, it's a good looking movie. The plot is a fairly simple. Um, the family thinks that there's some sort of evil because... I, I think there's been vampire attacks and stuff like that. People drained of blood. I, I'm not 100% sure. Like, it is kind of a cluttered story, a very typical, but also uh, untypical and just little jumps around and has scenes that are like, is this what's happening now? But, um, 
essentially they call in Christopher Plummer to kind of exercise uh, this coffin in the tomb, which they think that the uh, Nosferatu vampire is still in. And I think this is directly tied to their family lineage. So they go in there and they realize that it's not him, but by doing that, they have called him to their kind of castle and he starts to pick the family off and feast upon them. Um, there's some nudity, of course, with Kinski in here, kind of, uh, you know, attacking some of the women nude and all that kind of stuff. And there's a really great uh, a kill in here that uh, I, I love what how Kinski acts in it and he uses kind of like a mesmeration or hypnotist uh, style how vampires kind of do and I think a lot of vampires typically would, don't really kill people physically they use their kind of mental powers and stuff like that so I thought that was cool um, like I said it's visually it's a very good looking movie the story is a little inept at times and obviously there were some production uh, problems <laughs> but uh, yeah I'll get into that a little later but there's this great scene in here like I said um and the Severn guy said, um, Donald Pleasance pretty much spends the whole entire movie kind of just relaxed in the corner, e uh, corner eating when he can. And that is very true. But there is one point in here when he goes full Loomis. And I just loved every second of it. You know nothing! You know nothing! And he just loses his mind. Anyways, just, uh, I liked the, the movie all around. Um, but it's one of those ones where you're like, only if things worked out a little bit better, could we have seen probably maybe a, a semi-classic Italian horror film from the 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 um you know the end of the heyday. Well, probably right at the end, period. So, um, anyways, the special features on here is a feature-length documentary. It's about an hour and 20 minutes. This thing is fantastic. It's it's one of my favorite features I saw. Let me get the title of it because it has an actual documentary name, and I don't want to uh, shortchange it. Creation is Violent, which is a very fitting name for it. It basically talks all about Klaus Kinski, uh, you know, through this latter period, like of the mid to... Uh, 80s the late 80s to the mid 90s i think is more or no actually it can't be that because he passes in 91 so it'd be like what 85 to like 1990 or somewhere around that time like a five six year period of klaus kinski movies where he was completely unhinged um even more so than he apparently was beforehand you've heard those stories with him and werner herzog almost killing each other and all that kind of stuff but uh so we have like interviews with um uh people from like the set of creature and of course there's a huge spot for um vampire or nosferatu in venice and all these other things and you just kind of learn that klaus kinski was an awful awful piece of crap um just the stories are absolutely great though and intriguing they have actual footage of him just kind of going off the rails and you kind of get a grasp of who he was and and kind of when he did stuff and everything and gabe bartolos tells some of the best stories special effects artist director gabe bartolos he tells some of the funnier stories on here he directed saint bernard and did a bunch of features but i i love his stories and stuff like that and, and it's just the stuff though it, it's you're laughing at it but like if you put yourself in the position of the poor people that he abused you're like oh man i just can imagine like getting in a fist fight with this guy you you most people i mean how how flabbergasted because you really can't do anything at certain points nowadays none of this stuff would even come close to this and he would be immediately canceled they saved the final chapter for a somewhat um, kind of touching um, uh, a moment in his life, which shows that even the most horrible people sometimes have a softer side to them. And I thought that was a nice touch, although um, it, it probably bothers people because of all the horrible stuff he did. But he nonetheless was one of the most interesting uh, actors around. He was unique and different, and he had a very... Um, 
you know, I guess, penetrating look to him with his eyes. I mean, you'll never forget Klaus Kinski. And Klaus Kinski is also one of those actors. You're like, I know who he is. And then you look up how many movies you've seen that he was in. And you're like, I've seen like 40 Klaus Kinski movies. And you register this guy is one of those very prolific actors and stuff like that. So anyways, I, I'm just going to just throw out uh, a random uh, Klaus Kinski movie for people to check out. I've recommended this movie before, if not only for this amazing scene with Imagine being on this set, Oliver Reed and Klaus Kinski together. Yeah. And obviously they're not going to get along, right? So there's a scene in this movie called Venom from the 70s. What is it? 71 to 74, somewhere around that period. Very good movie. Blue Underground put it out. And Klaus Kinski slaps Oliver Reed. And you know there was no acting in that scene. So uh, just a, just a shout out to check that one out. Also on the disc, there is a couple um, like shorter kind of like they seem like short stories cut from the big uh, the the documentary um, with uh, Luigi Kazi. He's in the documentary too. He tells some of the best stories. He's very funny. Um, and a lot of the stuff about Nosferatu in Venice, about the multiple directors, about the falling outs, and about all that kind of stuff. But he mentions this story about them walk a bunch of people walking off set, and then there's another one about uh, Klaus Kinski claiming that. Uh, uh, the gypsies should be played by real gypsies. Um, I thought it looked great. It was already a, it's already a good looking movie, but I thought the sound and everything came together really nice, and the audio and visual stuff did. A, I just like it's a it's a very well done Blu-ray um, and a movie that I know a lot of people won't love, but it's definitely a curiosity to me. Um, but more so, I love the documentaries and the special features on it. So they did a really good job with it. It's Nosferatu in Venice, a.k.a. Vampire in Venice, uh, Klaus Kinski being absolutely ridiculous. And there's a there's a great story about why he's not bald like the original Nosferatu. But uh, I'll let you guys watch this and hear uh, all that kind of stuff. So check it out. Okay, the next one from Severin Video is A Scream in the Streets. And I believe this was a Something Weird video, and it's been out of print for a long time. So seeing this thing on Blu-ray kind of excited me. Um, a Scream in the Streets. This is a first-time watch, 1972. Eh, exploitation to the max. Um, okay, we have Crooked Cry... Uh, tongue twister here crooked cops um extremely crooked cops we have a cross-dressing serial killer we have um terror they're, they're also bad cops we have all these molestations and we have full-on sex scenes some kind of leaning into the more hardcore i don't think you actually see penetration but you see start to see some of the naughty bits and i do believe at the end there's almost penetration uh I, I, but anyways so this is like i i don't know if it's more of a soft Hardcore, hardcore in the middle, whatever. Um, so the plot is basically there is a cross-dressing serial rapist killer going around and attacking women, um, raping them in broad daylight at the parks and stuff like that, then kind of killing them out of rage. Um, there's these two cops that are kind of in this area. They're kind of on the case, not necessarily, but there's tons of crime and seedy stuff going on. It seems like one of these places where there's so much crime, everybody's a, everybody's a, you know a criminal in this area and whatnot. So uh, the cops both uh, are kind of like crooked, not, not even kind of. It's 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 after the kind of uh, dirty, hairy, you know what I mean, like kind of deal. So that's very heavy in the consciousness, those kind of uh, cops that people would be like, oh my God, this is horrible. But back then it was a very popular little thing in a lot of uh, uh, 70s movies, um, especially, you know, exploitation or action, that kind of stuff. So that kind of uh, cop, that vigilante cop or vigilante kind of thing. So it was very popular at the time. So... Uh, there's these couple scenes in here, literally, like where the cops are having these shootouts. 
And at one point, there's a scene where there's these couple black guys outside of a car, and it looks like they're just getting in the car, and the cops pull up, and they're like, all right, guys, and they start, like, hassling them and patting them down, and I'm like, oh, this does not look good at all. And then it turns out that they actually are criminals, but the guy coming up uh, it had some drugs hidden. It's just a ridiculous scene, and there's these, like, weird beats of comedy and just really ugly kind of scenes um, and ugly sex scenes, too, like uh, stuff that you don't really expect, like long massages of, uh, you know, uh, his masseuse, like slapping this older man on the behind, and then it gets to exploitive exploitation levels, and all, all the sex scenes go on. They're, they're like, they stop like it's a porno, and they're like five, ten minutes long. You're like, all right, I've, I've had enough of this, and I know back in the day it was so different, you know, in 72 when you go to the drive-in, you're there to see the sexy stuff. Nowadays, you're like, well, I mean, you can see sexy stuff anywhere, so it doesn't have the same impact. Anybody just gets online or picks up a magazine or pops in a movie. It's so much easier to see the sexy stuff. Um, so that is the least interesting stuff, to, the stuff to it. Um, the killer is absolutely absolutely ridiculous here and they're one of these killers that obviously hates women with like a burning passion but yet they dress as a woman. It seems to have the woman get their guard down so they can attack them. Um, and, and the end of the movie is also one of these very exploitation kind of endings where it's like no repercussions for doing it, but at the same time, you want them to do it at that point. Um, yeah, it's a seedy, sleazy, gross movie. Um, and there's some funny stuff in here. Like I said, a lot of the stuff is shot in broad daylight. So like at one point we have the, um, cross-dressing killer at the, um, like the park in broad daylight standing there. And, um... I look and I'm looking in the background and there's just like, and it's far and it's out of focus. There's just like this like 60, 70 year old man standing there in the park without a shirt on. I'm like, you know, I know the focus is on the, the, the killer here, but I'm a, I'm kind of more interested in that guy in the background without a shirt on in the middle of the broad daylight. I mean, people take their shirts off cause it's hot, but it's just like wearing jeans and he's at no shirt on. It's like, maybe he's in on it too. I don't know. Um, as far as the features are concerned, there's these two loops like sex loops that are uh, basically a couple deleted scenes that are cut out of the movie and then they're like made into these sex loop things like uh, basically there's a peeper character of course in this thing there's this peeper guy that walks around and, and spies on women and everything like that and uh, of course he gets caught by the cops and beat up at one point um, but they kind of insert these long sex scenes of him watching him and made like these like 10 minute sex loops and everything like that um, this is my least favorite of the seven releases this uh, this month uh, I, I'm not obviously I, got, I think you guys can tell on that this one really didn't do much for me it's a really cheapy gross exploitation movie i like those a lot but um it's a little bit uh too shellacky for me and i i can't believe i'm saying that but um it's nice to see it finally get a release a nice release like this um it, it, it's remastered and everything but it's hard to tell you know, a quality of this kind of movie. I imagine that uh, usually a lot of the stuff that's put out by something weird is, is like lost films or like beat up prints. So, um, they like take, they, they took care of them, but when they got them, they were already like super low budget and stuff like that. So I imagine that this is the best this thing's ever going to look. I'm not saying it looks poor or anything. I'm just saying it looks like a very cheap movie that's been remastered. Well, that's what I'm saying. So that's a scream in the streets. Uh, yeah, check it out. There's two versions too. You can watch it at 185. And uh, what's the other version? I'm going to double check for you guys because I know a lot of people are big on that kind of stuff. Um, they're not actually listing it here. So, but there's two different versions you can watch. Um, yeah. Uh, anyways, if this sounds like it's up your alley, then uh, check out A Scream in the Streets. Okay, the next one is a heavy hitter from Severin. This is a great get from them. 
I, I love this movie. It's been a long time since I watched it. Um, but this director here, Alex D. La Inglesia, is probably, I would put, in the top five most underrated directors. That's just off the top. That's a number off the top of my head. But he's just a, a fantastic Spanish director who really doesn't get the recognition I think he deserves in the States. I know a lot of people are fans of him. But um, like when you hear, you hear a lot of the same names over and over again, but you don't hear his name as much as you should. And this is the 4K release of Day of the Beast. And I have not seen this movie in a very long time so when i heard that severin was putting a 4k out i was super excited along with another one of his movies i was like that those are two great uh 4k debuts from a company i'm glad they're getting in the 4k game uh and this is a perfect one so this film came out in 1995 it was his uh alex d Linglacia's second feature film after action mutante or action mutant uh i, I believe would be the english translation and uh yeah this is the first one that i saw uh, yeah, and it, this one kind of left a good impression on me. Like I said, I hadn't seen it in a long time. First, let me say this. The 4K looks fantastic. It sounds fantastic. Um, yeah, it, they did a, such a great job. It looked amazing on the TV, and uh, the sound was great. Everything about it was great. So no complaints there, especially for um, not a super low-budget movie, but a lower-budget movie from 1995. thought it was fantastic. Um, if you guys don't know this director, he has a certain unique quality about him. I, I don't know how to put it about him, but he obviously wears his inspirations on his sleeve, but they're not, they never seem like anybody's movies but his. They always seem very original to him, even though they have obvious inspirations. Now the next one I'll talk about seems like it's, it's definitely a product more of its time to an extent, but I think that plays into it, I think, better. I, I mean, I like the other one just as much. But, so Day of the Beast follows uh, uh, basically a theologist or a priest. Um, it's a certain type of priest that studies like theology and that kind of things. And he is deciphered in a code. Um, and he realizes that um, very quickly he needs to stop the Antichrist that is going to be born on Christmas Eve or Christmas Eve really late at night. Um, yeah, the night of, of the uh, Christmas Eve, like midnight. So he realizes after he de deciphered this that, um, yeah, they the Antichrist is going to be born and all, you know, humanity is going to be in deep shit. So right off the bat, he needs he realizes quickly that he needs to sin and, and do as much violence and, and horrible things so he can get close to the person, uh, the Satanist and the people are going to give birth to the Antichrist so he can stop it and kill them. So basically right off the bat, he starts to do kind of these like evil things, small bits and just horrible stuff. Um, but it's very funny because he's like this small, uh, you know, small kind of little, very seemingly sweet priest. But uh, right off the bat, he starts to do these hilarious acts. Uh, and his demeanor is great, too. Uh, there's a great verbal, uh, I guess, like, I, I don't even want to say it. It's not verbal, but it's a, it's a verbal pun at, at first. Um, that's not the right word for it. But anyways, there's a great visual pun after a verbal uh, a little line of dialogue. I guess it's a, it's definitely a visual pun. Uh, with a cross. That's our cross to bear. Kaboom! That's all I'm going to say with that. I love that. So somehow he ends up stumbling, because he's completely naive about, you know, society and entertainment and media. Um, so he stumbles into this heavy record metal shop. Almost immediately, because that's right, you know, priest, like, what's evil? What's satanic? <laughs> Heavy metal music, right? So he goes to this uh, metal shop, and he meets this this metalhead who's one of the MVPs in the movie, and he convinces them to help him. They end up pairing up. They see this kind of uh, fake kind of magician, magical occult guy on television, and they kidnap him, and they show him everything, and somehow these series of events, uh, you start to realize that there may be something to this, where there actually may be an Antichrist being born. So it's up to these three people to stop them. There's a lot of chaos in this movie going on besides 
besides that, it's at the backdrop of Madrid. It's in Madrid, so it's a busy city during Christmas time. So we have the crowds of people, but also we have this seedy uh, violence everywhere, almost like there's this building of evil going on. So everything feels like it's pointing to this birth of the Antichrist. We have this group of um, violent people that are going around and burning homeless people. They're just monsters, and they're everywhere, and all these signs. You start to see signs, and at first you're like, you, you buy into it, and then you have your doubts, and you really don't know where to think where it's going. But um, it's it's really great, and then like you start questioning: Is it happening? Isn't it happening? At first, I'm like, it has to be happening. Then I'm like, maybe not. And then I'm like, maybe it is. Maybe it's not. And it plays with that. The acting's top notch. The metalhead has got some of the best lines, and Alex D. La Inglesia does a great thing with heights. I, I feel like um, along with this and the last circus, I have never been more terrified of heights in my life. But there's this good scene. The first time I saw it, I was like, oh boy, where they're crawling out of a window and they have to crawl across this uh, this electric sign and, and people are dropping and they're holding him and it's just really intense uh yeah there's like i said there's some hyper violent stuff in here too people being set on fire um but there's a lot of comedy bits there's lots of great stuff and the performances that make it very funny um this is a great movie this is a really good one and it's definitely one of the hidden gems of 1995 um if anybody hasn't seen this i highly recommend checking out the 4k it looks great um there's a bunch of features on here as well there's a feature length documentary about an hour and like 20 five minutes or so or 20 21 minutes um called uh, hairs of the beast uh, spelled with the h-e-i-r-s there there is a a verbal pun i guess or a written pun uh, let's just stop talking about puns dave you're not very good at it so uh yeah that one's really great it has the producers has some of the actors involved and it, of course as alex d inglesia then uh, besides that there is an um, interview with the director on here alex and then there's an interview with one of the main actresses on here an interview with the uh, main actor who has since passed interview with the director of photography and um his short film which um uh, i think got him was made actually before auction mutante so uh, overall great release you can get it on blu-ray or 4k i would go with the 4k because you can upgrade eventually if you don't have a 4k player i watched it in 4k my new TV. I thought it looked great. Surround sound system and everything like that. So you can also watch it in the English dub, which I do not recommend you do. I put it on just for uh, kicks. I never saw it in English. And I was just walking around the house and I was like, I, I'm going to do some things and put on the English dub just to see how it sounds. And everybody is so poorly dubbed. And I, I think that adds a, a layer of comedy that is not the right comedy for this movie. This comedy is clever and, 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 you know, satirical and stuff like that. And I just don't think it matches with the movie so anyways check this one out uh really great stuff it is day of the beast okay the next one here is uh perdida durango from of course severn films directed by alex d inglesia in 1997 and this is the first freaking time this bad boy has been on cut on disc anywhere now i had some import blu-rays that i never even got a chance to watch and i had seen the original not the original cut the shitty u.s cut dance uh with the devil or dance of the devil um, that has cut the ribbons. So I was super excited to finally see this bad boy in 4K, the uncut version. Uh, yeah, this movie I adore. This is a great movie, made 1997, like I said, starring um, geez, Rosie Perez and Javier Bardem. And this is one of those movies, this is the first time I ever saw Javier Bardem. And then later I would notice that he's in like stuff like No Country for Old Men and then... And, and, got bigger in the United States and I know he was in a bunch of other movies in Spain and he was kind of a big actor but for me this was the first time I saw him and it's one of those performances to me that's just like oh man this guy 
this guy is so fantastic. Um, this is a wild movie. I wouldn't call it a horror movie or strictly a horror film or a crime film or a thriller. It's kind of all those. It's a comedy, horror. It's more comedy, crime, thriller, horror. It has a little bit of these elements of all of them. Um, besides um, just those two, Rosie Perez and Bardem, in here also is an early performance from James Gandolfini, who... I think honestly was one of the most, I know he was very popular from the Sopranos, but I, when I think of people that died too young and I wish that no, I feel like nobody made a big deal about him dying. I think of him. I really do. I think that he was a tremendous actor and I've always enjoyed seeing him and stuff. And, uh, screaming Jay Hawkins is also in here. And uh, the big guy from um, A Day of the Beast also has a small role. So this is a weird film. Um, this is originally written uh, by, uh, is it Barry Guilford, I think is uh, the guy who wrote the Wild at Heart novel too. And uh, wrote the the book Perita, uh, the Perdita Durango, which is this is somewhat based on. Well, it's not 100% close to the book, but I guess it has some similarities. Um, so yeah. This is a wild movie, and it's most definitely inspired by the real-life uh, uh, Costanzo case, uh, Alfonso Costanza. Um, he was a strange like cult leader slash serial killer in Mexico, and that story is absolutely wild if anybody's ever uh, heard about that or anything. I know the last podcast guys covered him, um, and... The story he follows some strange religion that is is about kind of like magic and somewhat, and I don't want to talk too much about it because it's something that I am not very familiar with besides this movie, and it's uh, exaggerated in this film, my understanding, and the uh, the crime case. But uh, it's, it's definitely a huge part of this film. So, uh, Perita Durango is this kind of strange, kind of tough woman. The very opening, um, there's this brilliant comedic scene where this guy, um, this kind of middle class guy, a baby upper middle class approaches her, um, just wants to buy her a drink, and she completely like scares him away with what she says. I love it. Um, and she's on her way to dump the ashes of her sister, and eventually she runs into Javier Bardem. And uh, this guy is just a wild, insane character. And one of the best performances I think I've ever seen. I love it. Um, so he uh, ends up, they directly have this com uh, this connection. And there's a great scene in the film where Javier Bardem comes from this small village. And he says, and there was two cars. That's, he has this voice, like, there was two cars on the village. It was only destiny before they crashed. And it's just like, these two are those cars, bomb! And there's finally this destiny. They're going to crash, and they're going to meet. And uh, it's just a match made in hell. So she pushes him even further to go into that kind of religious stuff. And he has these big ceremonies with all these people watching, involving dead bodies and blood. And there's this boiling pot of all these crazy things. And Screaming Jay Hawkins plays his kind of, um, I guess he would say, like, as, like I don't want to say, like, shaman or something like that. Um, and they're both, like, just intense and doing all these crazy things. But... Uh, uh, they get the idea to kidnap these two uh, Americans, young Americans right across the border. Um, and these two are definitely, that's part Catholic relates to the true story with Costanza who actually did kidnap an American college student and uh, sacrifice him um, to this this religion so that they would appear invisible when they crossed uh, borders and stuff like that when they ran drugs so yeah anyways that there's this real reality to it a little bit but also it's darkly comedic and there's these really uh, 
bothersome rape scenes. I'm going to say to a lot of people, they will be, but, uh, they these two characters. Like, um, they have a lot going on with their relationship with these two as well. And, uh, James Gandolfini is this, uh, what, what kind of officer is he? I can't hundred percent remember, but he's after Javier Bardem for a lot of stuff. So he's been tracking him the whole time. And Bardem gets hired to run this kind of big stakes job by Don Stroud, um, by connection through his cousin, Don Stroud, great, great character actor right there too. So, uh, yeah, it gets really nuts. Did I mention that Alex Cox is in the movie and he plays James Gandolfini's partner? That's right. Alex Cox, the director of Repo Man, Sid Nancy and Straight to Hell. So we got that. Uh, anyways, it's just a really bizarre movie and I don't want to, basically they're carting, his job is to cart these frozen, they're like kept on ice, dead fetuses across for cosmetics. It's just a really dark and twisted movie in that kind of way and breaks a lot of taboos that a lot of people wouldn't like. It's violent. Um, there's a lot of people that are killed. Um, I love the movie and there's these great comedy beats too. There's these great, wonderful comedy beats. The Herb Albert bit is just priceless. And the face that Javier Bardem makes is ever forever stuck in my head when he's smiling like that. It's just it's just a, a no-holds-barred performance. And Rosie Perez is fantastic, too. I love her in this movie. Um, it's just a great movie. I, I can't recommend this enough, especially if you like the stuff from the, the mid to late 90s, or even the 90s in general, I would say. That kind of crime element films. In, in the, and I don't want to... like like say this is a knock on the movie, but it's very Tarantino in a style. You know what I mean? If that makes any sense to people, it has that kind of really witty dialogue, very great moments, hyper violence. Um, James Gandolfini is also fantastic in the movie and I love him. And he's got some great lines in here. He's like, just, so just do your job. Okay. Like, um, there's lots of great stuff going on here. I, I can't recommend this enough. The special features are fantastic. There's an interview with Alex D. Iglesias. And while I was watching this movie, I was like, man, this this reminds me of Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia a little bit. And, of course, um, he mentions Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia. Like, uh, I think that he mentions some of the same people that possibly worked on that, worked on this. And he's always a fan of Sam Peckinpah. And I'm like, I can tell. It feels like it, which makes me happy when I'm noticing inspirations, possible inspirations. And then the director comes through and says, you know what? I was. And I was like, good. I uh, Maybe I, I'm seeing some of the same things in it that I, I'm, it's, a, it's just like, it's cements it that you're like yeah yeah cool i'm not completely insane or i'm not got that tunnel vision of just two or three directors that i definitely do have when it comes to like romero and peckup i'm like three other guys are faulty i'm just like oh hyper focused on them all the time but uh yeah just uh, enjoyed the interview with him and then there is some um, other stuff too oh that, there's a uh, let me pick it up because i watched everything on this disc i absolutely had to um so and, and I just need a refresher course here because I don't want to miss anything because the release, all the features were fantastic. So, yes, we have an interview with Alex D'Anglesia. We have an interview with the writer who is the author, and he talks about um, the kind of like working with how it was getting made and the director would change. And he actually ends up liking the movie and in the end, which I like seeing. And then we have a Dancing with the Devil, an appraisal by film scholar Dr. Rebecca McKendry from uh, geez, All Colors of the Dark podcast. She put some insight on it. I know she's a fan of this director. That was also appreciated in here. And this was one of the most interesting aspects of the special features here. We have the Narcos Satanicos, the Perdita Durango, and the uh, Matamoros Cult. Interview with Abraham Castillo Flores and Cauldron of Blood author Jim Schultz. So they talk about the whole real crime and breakdown and their experiences with the, you know, in, like kind of looking into the case. And that's really great. And I recommend you watch that. 
that one for sure if you do pick this up. And then we have an interview, of course, with Simon Boswell, who did the music. If you guys know Simon Boswell, he worked on some of Richard Stanley's movies and, of course, some of the Italian horror films. That's a great interview, too. And he mentions this really great anecdote about uh, Herb, uh, Herb not wanting his song in the movie for a really funny reason. And then we have an interview with the director of photography as well, which I think is rather short. So anyways, a fantastic movie. Um, and Alex does talk about the actors and Bardem and their friendship and Perez and all that kind of stuff in here. But anyways, pick this up. One of the best releases. If This is my favorite release of the year so far um, from 2021. I know it's in the early kind of opening, but this is definitely going to be a top contender. Uh, love this movie. It's so perfect that it's on 4K. And it's funny. It, it's insane to me that... Um, <laughs> like movies like this are getting a 4k which makes me excited because this is the kind of stuff i love but then like some of the big mainstream movies don't even have blu-rays and it's just funny to me to think that you know cult film fans and and film lovers and these niche labels are really keeping cinema more alive than the big companies but that's the way it's always been right um anyways uh perdita durango highly recommended release of a highly recommended movie check it out in the last 48 hours, I've had two near-death accidents. I've had the Mexican Mafia try to shoot at me. I had some fucking animal try to rip my fucking head off. And I haven't had breakfast yet. Fuck you! We should kill them, and then we should eat them. Bueno, demandarnos, la película nos hubiera acabado. Me agaché a la bomba en cuanto sonó, me brincó todo, cabrón. That was dangerous, right? And then they say. Great, let's do it again. It was an extended family. I think there was a hard nut group of about a dozen people who were in on the sacrifices. Rosie Perez really approached this with nothing to lose, and there is so much power behind that. And they were well aware that there was content in there which was going to be troublesome. pero creo que se debería haber hablado de un, más claramente de una revolución en el cine español. Una idea tan descabellada, tan innovadora y tan estimulante que sana envidia. Ahora serían muy, muy políticamente incorrectos.
I always said, I don't need to be fucked in my ass by Pasolini or Visconti to appear on the screen. You know, this kind of madness would take them over. The ones that got along with them or got the performances they want or met their schedule had to almost physically fight for it. I recommended firing him and replacing him. Italiani di merda! Troupe del cazzo! Non sapete fare niente! Fate schifo! Well, it sounds like you could use some coffee. Thank you, Brian. I could. Did you remember my two lumps? I uh, can't get them off my mind. <laughs> you ever gone three ways before, Jimmy? Well, this should be an adventure. Okay, I'm going to be a little bit more brief with these than you guys would think I would be. But what happened was we were supposed to record the Evil Dead franchise show. and We had some scheduling problems. Some things happen. So I'm not going to be able to do the show anymore. I had already watched the movies. So um, this was for um, uh, the uh, 22 Shots of Moods and Horror. So I'm going to talk about the Evil Dead movies because I didn't want to miss the chance. And plus, if I did, there'd be like, 10 movies, like five movies I reviewed this week. So first up on the plate is 1981's uh, The Evil Dead Directed by Sam frickin' Raimi. Okay, so uh, of course we all know the history of these movies and how different this one was from the latter-day sequels. Um, now Raimi and company, Campbell and all them guys, they weren't huge horror fanatics. Um, they just looked at kind of the print and realized that, you know, this is the cheapest kind of film we can make. They love films, no doubt, and, and comedy and all that kind of stuff, so they decided to make The Evil Dead, and what they captured was lightning in a bottle. For forever after that, um, although it is similar to Equinox, which came before, from my understanding, haven't got a chance to watch that one, but they captured lightning in a bottle, and what they made would forever um, influence the horror genre. A cabin in a woods, demonic possession. And this isn't demonic possession like The Exorcist. This is uh, the Book of the Dead, the Necronomicon possessing you from reading words and turning you into these monster demons and everything like that, surviving in this cabin. So, um, this movie has a lot of charm. It has a lot of the innovativeness, in, yeah, stuff that we love, the innovative camera work that Sam Raimi and, and crew were infamous for later on. And uh, and Bruce Campbell, although Bruce Campbell is not the Ash that we have all learned to love, uh, or or just loved right off the bat, maybe, uh, that we know in Evil Dead 2 or Army of Darkness, this is a uh, this movie is a much more darker than the other Evil Dead films. Although there is an over-topness to the gore and stuff like that, that I think kind of, uh, you can see that it, it left it open to go more with the Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness. Um, for example, like a head would be hacked off with a shovel and it would go in the air and then it'd be a second and then we hear a loud boom 
plop on the dirt. Like that 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 is macabrely funny, even though it is horrifically graphic and violent. But uh, this one does feel more exploitative than the other Evil Dead's, even though the other ones are over the top gore fest. I, I mean, Evil Dead Two is this one has that that mean streak. I think like um, there's of course the infamous tree rape. The the plot's very simple. Four or five five kids go out to a cabin in the woods and they accidentally summon demons and they're possessed and fight them off and get killed, yada, yada, yada. Very simple plot. Um, but uh, there's a, an infamous tree rape in here, which is weird because it does, it feels so out of place compared to anything of Sam Raimi's movies, and it's obviously an exploitation kind of thing to put in there because that's kind of what was selling, what was hot at the time, these kind of extreme measures. And I'm pretty sure it's probably one of the major reasons it got slapped on the video nasties list in, from in the UK. But uh, besides that, um, everything feels, it feels Raimi on point, less comedy, of course, but when the people start getting picked off, their heads have off and the blood spewing and they use a lot of old school like techniques like stop motion which i love and the eye pops and this movie is infamous for having like a great uh, wind and I, I don't remember which one it is i think it was part two when i went up to one of my surround sound speakers on the 7.1 or 5.1 audio whatever it was on there and i put my ear up to the rear one of the rear speakers and all i heard was it was just wind. It was just wind. And I was like, that's so freaking cool. I love it. But uh, yeah, I, I I mean, I love this movie. It's a classic and it is, it's a lightning in a bottle. Like I said, like Night of the Living Dead or Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It was just a right movie at the right time. And it's just heavily influential. And you can see that um, Raimi and C Campbell connection. You can see the over the top stuff happening on a more serious level. And there's generally some good scares in here. The cards, the Queen of Sevens, that part's, that's really great stuff. Stuff. And I will say that there is probably a little bit of influence from the exorcist of demonic possession, but I don't think that the demons ever feel like, you know, um, Regan, Reagan, or Regan. I think it's Regan. Is it Regan or Reagan? Reagan. Reagan at all. I, I think that they have their own flavor to them. And I always like that the demons talked in in the we like like venom we are venom like they're a collective like there's a, a demonic presence in them there's more of them and i always like that it, it felt less uh christian uh demon demonic and more lovecraftian demonic even if that wasn't their intent we don't have these typical um generic uh christian anecdotal demon shit that we hear in all the other movies and the book of the dead the necronomicon is lovecraftian of course but i mean the necronomicon so i like that i really do i think it's very fun it's a very simple plot that people have been ripping off for years ever since the woods are great i like that the trees are an enemy they're scary as hell um it's just uses old school techniques and i enjoyed it and, and it wasn't even really widely released in 81 so it's even even more dated by the time it did come out anyways lightning in a bottle great movie and as far as the 4k is concerned i had heard so many poor things about it i remember people like oh it looks like shit. i didn't think it looked that bad but i understand this movie's cheap and it was probably an early 4k so i'm not going to imagine you know uh blue underground or a severed 4k knocked them out of the park uh, it's a studio 4k of an old cheap movie so i didn't think it looked horrible i i didn't really expect very much either at the same time but uh, evil dead it's a classic what can i say about it right okay so what comes after evil dead of course evil dead 2 dead by dawn um i must confess back in the day um, out of all the big horror films there's always like one or two where you're like i don't have like a close connection to that and that was evil dead 2 like, I love Sam Raimi's films, uh, like Evil Dead, Army of Darkness. I love Darkman. I love Quick and the Dead, okay? These movies I had a super, like, close connection to. More so Darkman and Quick and the Dead. I watched them so many times. Darkman was one of my all-time favorite movies. Um, so, um, 
the idea that I didn't like Evil Dead 2 as much kind of always baffled me. Like, it was like that one where I'm like, I'm wrong. Like, what's wrong with me? I don't get it. I always felt like I saw Dead Alive way before. So I was like, that's like the ultimate splatter movie to me. I don't know why people always put Evil Dead 2. And I saw Evil Dead. I saw Army of Darkness, then Evil Dead, then Evil Dead 2. Because Army of Darkness was on TV every day of my life as a kid. So this was the last one I saw. So it finally took to this time watching it to... to to finally connect with me and be like, oh, this is just as good as the other two, if not better, actually. So I really enjoyed this one. And what's funny is the Evil Dead 2 opens up and it basically the first 10 minutes are a rehash of one told in a different way because they couldn't get the rights to part one from my understanding. It's the footage from one. So instead of, you know, him, Linda and, and uh, all his buddies and his sister going out there, Cheryl. It's just him and Linda, and they retell the story, and they change some things about it, um, the the series of events with the bridge and all that kind of stuff. And quickly after that, um, there's some new people that show up to the cabin, including Dan Hicks and some other people, um, and it, it's kind of like carries on the story a little bit further. So it's like Evil Dead 1.5, I've heard people call it, and that's kind of it, kind of what it is. Um, the comedy and gore is more over the top, more ridiculous things happen, more unrealistic things kind of happen. Um, right in the beginning, one of my favorite scenes in the entire movie is when the evil demonic presence, we know the infamous boom, camera shot with it coming at you, point of view of the demonic presence, comes after Ash. It chases him through the entire house and we see ash running and making funny faces and it's very intense and sped up and, and he goes through like back of the wall and goes through like all these ductwork. it's just very great very funny and then he loses it and that the, the demonic presence is looking around and this is kind of when you can start seeing like the heavy influence from um the three stooges although you could see that in crime wave which was a couple years before 85 but this one being a horror film you see like it in here too where you have a lot of like ash making the dumb faces and getting hurt and fighting his own hand for for long periods of time um and eventually this is where we get the infamous hand chopping chainsaw on arm stuff going on um and the infamous uh, ba uh the basically the montage of preparing to fight the evil dead uh, yeah, man, this is just a, a fantastically fun movie. It's really big. Uh, there's one complaint here um, where they have one of the characters, the demon's locked in the cellar, and it's constantly reaching out. But at one point, it manages to pull. It can't crawl out of the cellar, but it pulls like a full-grown man into the cellar from them. Like, I know you're eating and ripping apart, so he's getting smaller. But that that, that whole scene is just like horse shit. But you don't really care because it's just kind of ridiculous and over the top in the first place. Uh, at the end, it gets so bonkers that he ends up fighting this giant demonic thing and i was like man i don't remember that part at all but i love that i love the giant tree again being this threat in the film um the one thing is like about the first two evil deads like the music is never really as strong to me like i don't register it as much as the sound effects and the wind uh and i think that is obviously setting ambience and like atmosphere to the movie but uh yeah i, I really enjoyed watching this one it's very fun um there's good there's good plays here too um, and, uh, like, I mean, a good way they do it is like, I know somebody else mentioned this on a podcast and I completely agree where, um, they have Ash locked in the cellar, the fruit cellar, cause they think he's bad. And then they start listening to the old tape. Um, of course, very Lovecraftian way, uh, to be scared is to listen to a tape of someone talking about something horrifying and you reacting to it, but they play the tape of the girl's father that they're looking for. That's why the people did show up. Um, and he's talking about having to kill his wife and bury her in the fruit cellar. And right then we hear like, Oh no, like ashes in the fruit cellar. So that's a great scene. Um, again, I should mention that I really do like the tape stuff in part one and two, finding that tape, finding that recording. And I think it's more realistic to find a recording and have them say it and bring the thing to 
to life than you uh, kind of saying it yourself. Just because I there's no way I'm going to the trouble of saying it. If I find a weird, creepy book, I'm not going to read it out loud. But that recording, I could see myself playing like an idiot and just being like intrigued enough to keep listening, like Session 9 or something where you can't stop. Um, so yeah, um, great movie, very entertaining. Like the camera work is even more ridiculous in here. It's super bloody. Like the entire, Bruce Campbell is covered in so much blood. And that first time he says groovy. It's like iconic as hell. It's just like that's the that's that's when Ash was made, right? When he says groovy, it was just like that's it. That's cemented that forever. So yeah, Evil Dead Two, uh, loved it this time. Uh, definitely, if we ever do eighty seven on the show, it's gonna be in my top ten. It's be and that's a very competitive year for me. Okay, next up, of course, we have Army of Darkness. Made in 1992, a few years later, five years actually, and this uh, I believe probably cost more than uh, the Evil uh, Evil Dead 2, and definitely more than Evil Dead 1, no doubt about that. So um, this was the first one I saw. Like I said, it was on TV all the time, and I, I didn't even register if it was related to Evil Dead the first time I saw it. Uh, I would have been five, six when it came out, so I probably saw it on TV when I was seven, eight, and I think I saw Evil Dead when I was probably like 10, 12. My grandpa brought me a tape down or something that he picked up. Um, so yeah, I, I like a so anyways, Army of Darkness has always been like close to me, so I always had seen it. So the over-the-topness that bothers a lot of people never bothered me. That it was completely different in tone from Evil Dead 1 and 2. Like, we have barely any comedy in Evil Dead 1. Then we have a fair amount of comedy in Evil Dead 2. And then we have pretty much all comedy in, the, in Army of Darkness. So that I understand that that bothered a lot of people, but it didn't really bother me. And I think that um, when you get more Evil Dead and, and Army of Darkness, I mean, I think that's more Sam Raimi if you see like his style and and goofiness like the camera stuff is there um and, and the fun and all that kind of stuff it's not as gory as the other ones um there's four cuts of this movie so there's the theatrical um cut then there's the tv cut which is what played on the sci-fi channel i imagine and that's the one i probably seen a lot growing up and we have the director's cut which uh, i think was like the bootleg version which is the one that i watched a lot on dvd and then we have the international cut um the theatrical cut is 81 minutes the director's cut is an hour and six minutes. The TV cut, I'm not 100% sure on the length, but the international cut is 88 minutes in between the theatrical and the director's cut. And I think that Raimi at a time said that one, the director's cut is probably a little too long. So I decided this time that I would pop in the international cut because I wanted the longer version, but I like the theatrical ending. I don't particularly care for the director's cut ending. I always thought the theatrical was better. So of course, the way that Evil Dead 2 ends um, with uh, Bruce Campbell or Ash getting thrown into the medieval time, and everybody um yeah that's that's pretty much where we pick up of course it's different just like evil dead uh how all the evil deads end different and then they like, kind of like go back and change a little bit of the things there but anyways he lands and um in this time and they think that he is one of uh, an opposing army's men so they plan on throwing him in the pit um the pit is filled with deadites so he has to fight his way out and show them that uh, he is actually not one of King Henry's men, and he's the guy who fall from the sky who's supposed to save them from the Deadites. So uh, basically what happens is Bruce Campbell wins their respect, and they tell him that he has to get the Necronomicon to be sent back home. He ends up traveling to get it, and of course, in true idiot fashion, um, buffoonery, he screws up, and an army of darkness comes after him and the book and all the remaining soldiers. So that's pretty much what happens. There's lots of funny gags in here. There's there's good gags when Bruce Campbell has to fight a bunch of get a bunch against a bunch of little versions of himself, and that's the re, the creation of Evil Ash, which is fantastic. Um, have Evil Ash in here all dead and rotting, and becomes his main kind of antagonist. Love that. 
and then we also have, uh, of course, the Army of Darkness when they rise. Rise is very funny. We have a lot of Three Stooges gags. You can see that uh, very much straightforward in there. A lot of Three Stooges gags that I love. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of great one-liners. The one line I really did miss in the that's in the director's cut that's not in the international cut is good, bad, I'm the guy with the gun. I'm not sure if that's in theatrical or not, but that's not in this cut. I was kind of bummed out. But we still have some of the other lines like give me some sugar, baby, and all that kind of stuff. Um, this is a really fun watch for me. There's lots of fun things going on here. Uh, the big battle at the end has a lot of dumb stuff of like, uh, you know, skeletons playing flutes and their eyes popping out and being like, oh, no and looking at the camera and getting wrecked i mean they're just skeletons for the most part but uh there's there's a big a decent amount of extras you can remember recognize some of the faces like ted Raimi in the background and all that kind of stuff um i'm a fan of the movie i've always enjoyed it i think i like all these about the same uh i never had the problem with that being absolutely ridiculous uh, in comparison to the other two because i didn't really know any better and i don't really care because we already have those two movies and i like those the way they are um it's it's okay to be a little different maybe some people say jump the shark but I get bored with the same thing over and over again, um, unless it's my favorite thing ever. And these ones aren't my favorite thing ever, but they're close. You know, I love Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell, and I love his style. Um, so anyways, I, I, adore, I really like the Army of Darkness. Like I said, I didn't get the dive into these features at all, but there's so much stuff on a lot of these releases, the Evil Dead ones. I had... I had to watch all the stuff for the seven releases, um, and I thought I'd be able to talk more about these on the 22 shots but anyways big fan of the first three films for sure and uh yeah i have always loved army of darkness so yeah check it out um there's lots of cool stuff too like the scene where he uh and he fights a lot of deadites and that's the one thing i really like how the deadites look and how they're basically monsters in these movies so yeah check it out Okay, now we have, of course, the 2013 remake of Evil Dead. And I watched the unrated version. This has both versions on there. Um, yeah, I remember watching this in the theaters when I was uh, actually um, at Cinema Wasteland. A few of us went to check it out. And we actually went to a rundown theater that was further away because my friend Cage wanted to use free uh, pass he had or something like that, a gift card, which I wish we wouldn't have. I would have just paid for his ticket at this point instead of going back to trashy theater. That was too far away. But uh, Evil Dead 2013. Um, um, by uh who is it um freddie what's his name uh geez uh he also directed don't breathe i'm gonna cheat uh it's right at the tip of my tongue and it's bothering me uh it's f-e-d-e is it feedy or freddie um Fede alvarez yeah that is it i just had to say it out loud to remember what they call him okay so all right let me say this first uh i really do think that if um you're in love with evil dead um for like the Bruce Campbell, Sam Raimi kind of reasons, um, you'll, you'll have more trouble with the Evil Dead remake. If you like the weird camera work, if you like the goofiness, if you like the um, the almost comedic, but yet like uh, stuff in it, I think you'll have a lot less um, enjoyment out of the Evil Dead remake 2013. But uh, Evil Dead uh, 2013 is a more serious film. Uh, really, the actors in here, the one guy's from Dead Girl, and the one guy is uh, uh, from Spring, Lou Taylor. He's in a bunch of stuff. He's in Thumbsucker. So those are the two kind of people I recognize in here. But uh, the idea where they're actually going to the cabin, I liked. Basically, there's a group of uh, friends and a brother that are trying to get his sister clean from heroin. And they decided to go to the cabin, which in 2013 seems a little bit more likely than a lot of kids going to the cabin now. Although we did go to camping and stuff like that and, and when we were in high school in like 2004. Not too far off. Maybe maybe it is 9, 10 years, so it is a little bit different. So I like that idea. I think it's a good idea. Um, 
so this movie's a real mixed bag for me. Uh, uh, first, and uh, there's some things I like about it. And I don't want to address this first. People say, when people are like, it's not a remake or a reboot. It's a sequel. If it's a, it, it's a good remake, okay? I'll say that because it's different. It's completely different. It, it gives you something that the, the other evil that didn't, a serious brutality. And if that's what you're looking for, it does that well. It's if you're gonna remake it, remake it like the last pod, the last 20, 22 shots guys say, right? If you're gonna remake it, remake it. And it is a remake. It's different. It, it has no. It doesn't share. It has similarities and shoutouts to the original films, but it doesn't really share tone at all or a lot of the actual rules of the original Evil Dead. So as far as a remake, it's. I think it is successful. As far as being a sequel or in the same universe, it's a complete fail. Okay, so anybody that's trying to justify that, well, we have the cameo by Bruce Campbell at the end. That is the worst cameo in the history of cameos. He's in his apartment. They took three seconds to film him. Okay, that's all they did. It's not a cameo. It's a, it's a fucking, I went to his apartment and Bruce Campbell had three and a half seconds. Okay, that's that. they just put him in there last minute so people will be happy. Okay, it's it's very stupid. And I want to, I would love to have Bruce Campbell actually in the movie do something besides a groovy in a, in a, our apartment. And like, well, you see Bruce Campbell's car. I know that some people, even the director have been like, oh, it is in the same universe. But if that's the case, it fails. It fails completely. And I know I'm getting off on a rant here. It, it's just nothing like it. it doesn't follow the same rules. It doesn't come from the same universe. It does not share the same tone or rules or monsters or deadites or, or reasoning or mythology that the original Evil Dead has. So therefore, if it's a sequel, it is trash bags. Okay? Trash bags. As far as that is concerned, doesn't mean the movie's completely ruined because of it. If it is that, I don't hate the movie because of that. No, I, I'm just saying that when people fight so hard to make it a worse movie, they're fighting so hard to make it the same worst movie. And I feel like somebody else has said this. I feel like maybe I've said this or I've heard it from somebody, but I completely agree with who's ever said it because it doesn't fit the tone. So here's what happens. Of course, the uh, girl addicted to heroin's having withdrawal, and nobody believes that she's actually um, being possessed because one of the people, of course, finds the book and reads it. In the cellar, there's a bunch of gross hanging cats. But what ha happened previously, someone was burned here that was possessed by the demon. Um, so uh, they, they, she starts to be possessed. And a thing I didn't care about in the movie was that she starts to see like an evil version of herself or something like an entity that is actually physically possessing her. I never liked that because I always have liked the demonic presence. I thought that was school and unique to evil dead and i know they're remaking it but what they do they take a lot of the uniqueness about evil dead and make it very generic they kind of it almost feels like a generic movie that is is ripping off evil dead more so than a remake or a reboot or whatever you want to call it so it's kind of weird that they did that like that's kind of a hurt knock on it but, um, and also about halfway through the movie, the movie forgets that these are deadites. And, and I'm not sure if it ever knew they were deadites because they don't act like deadites. They're not monsters. They're not the deadites that we all love, which makes Evil Dead different from all the other demonic possession movies that we see. And when I like demonic possession, I'm more so in the line with Evil Dead, Demon Knight, Night of the Demons, or Demons itself. That's my demonic possession that I enjoy. Halfway through this movie, the movie starts to think it's The Exorcist, where we have lines that are referring to Christianity and your mother sucks cocks and stuff like that. And I'm just like, <laughs> fucking trash. Dialogue's not very good. Don't like the dialogue, but let's be honest, the original Evil Dead wasn't, you know king of dialogue or anything like that so that's kind of hard to hold it against it this one does have a dramatic core to it it has a dramatic core so the characters in the dialogue do matter a little bit more than a, a kind of a just gory kind of scary horror film now because we're supposed to care about these characters we're supposed to have this relationship with we're we're supposed to have a relationship with the brother and sister relationship kind of that regret kind of that loss and stuff between them and the responsibility and the guilt and all that stuff so that kind of plays into that we're supposed to care i don't care Maybe I'm a jaded asshole. Maybe the movie didn't get it across very well. Um, 
But saying that, those are my problems with the movie. I don't like how the Deadites are handled. It, it feels far too Christianity, generic exorcist lines. I don't I, I, I don't care for how it looks except when it's raining. And it rains a lot, so it's about 50-50, right? I, I, I feel like the sheen, like the, the fade out is just like doesn't feel like a real film. And I feel that maybe it's trying to be a throwback, but it's just, it's just distracting to me. Um the characters don't do much for me, although I don't hate them or like them. They're just kind of generic. I never was emotionally invested too much. Um, the defibrillator is really stupid. It's a very serious movie for that. And also the idea that somebody, people want this to take place. This is maybe just the fans annoying me. The, the same universe completely negates that it has nothing to style or not style doesn't need style but it doesn't feel or have any of the same rules as the other evil dead movies so that's it, it, like just for a simple example in the evil dead we say we will swallow your soul and this one says i want you to join us there's like one distinct demon now someone could argue that this book of the dead they read a different passage and only brought back one demon or something like that it just brought back this one dark character instead of a massive amount of demons um but I don't know. I just like the Wii entity as demon deadites is more scary and I think it works better. But besides that, um, now I'm going to say the positives, okay? I am a, a fan of spe uh, special effects and gore effects, and this movie is super brutal. What it makes up for in uh, a lot of those things I mentioned, it makes it, it makes up for it in brutality and gore. And if you're here for that, it, it, it delivers. And I, I would say, see, I, I have hangups because I have more of an attachment to that style of Sam Raimi filmmaking and those rules and that kind of stuff because I'm a fan. If you don't have any attachment to them, like I don't have much attachment to Halloween. I think it's a classic, but I, so I don't get mad at the Rob Zombie movie because I just don't care. Um, this one, I, I care a little bit more. See, in Romero's movies, I would care a little bit more when they're remade. This one, I don't have much... I mean, when it comes to Halloween, I don't have that much invested in it. You know what I mean? I think the first one's a classic. That's about it. And Evil Dead, I have a little bit more invested than that. So I, I feel like maybe I'm more nitpicky, and I will admit that. But like I said, um, this one does have spe special effects that are amazing. Like, um, in this unrated version, I can't think what would be different because I know the tongue, I think, goes on longer than it should. But we have these crazy moments of how it spread seems to be a little bit different too it's more of a um like almost an infection cabin fever style thing with bites and things but evil dead the spreading of those has always kind of been iffy to be honest the sunlight kills it sometimes I, so it's like yeah that's that's a little, maybe a little something consistent inconsistent consistent whatever but uh the evil dead remake as far as the gore effects are concerned there is some real brutal stuff in here um and and like how the demons act they somewhat are are like making fun and go back to being human and try to get people to put their uh, guard down, which is from the original. So I can give it some props a little bit for that. Um, I do think they go on a little bit too long with their putting their, put it, turning back to human and stuff in this one than the, uh, in comparison to original. So they don't exact act, exa act exactly the same. And uh, they do have like all these different shout outs, a chainsaw a hand being chopped off with it. Um, some other things as well. But like I said, the gore effects and the people just getting picked apart, like the, the smashing of the head, the chopping of the arm with the turkey uh, cutter, uh, the meat cutter, carver, and the chainsaw at the end, the raining blood, um, the, the sinking into the puddle of nasty blood on the bottom. I think a lot of that stuff is spectacular when it comes to that. And um, they decided to focus on the serious brutal brutality, which I'm fine with when it's a remake. When it's not a remake, I don't think it really fits. You know what I mean? But besides that, I thought it worked. I, I All in all, I think it's a decent, solid remake. Okay? I get what people say it's not, but I just don't buy that shit. Um, there's plenty of shout-outs in other remakes, too, and, and whatever. And the Bruce Campbell thing is so stupid. <laughs> he's in that movie. No, he's not. 
he's in the credits in his apartment okay um getting a nice paycheck hopefully but um anyways i i like i said like the positivities about it like there's a, like when it pouring rain when it's pouring rain and that one shot of the house i thought looked great um the idea to get them out there is a good one it makes sense uh to kind of go through that withdrawal even though it would be horribly scary out there um the dog stuff i'm like yeah that's kind of lame what's the point that dog barely had any character development whatsoever it's a very cheap uh tactic and it's just like the dog is barely in it but everybody has a dog so it's very easy to get emotional things from a dog without actually having to do any character building in the movie or any interactions with the dog because dogs are a pain in the ass to work with so we know what you're doing that we get it but uh yeah um all in all, good gore effects, good motive to get out in the story, uh, very brutal and different. But uh, again, I have those hangups on it myself. Uh, I'm more connected to that Raimi Campbell world, um, so this one doesn't land as well as it will for people that aren't. And I'm not saying it's a bad movie. I think it's probably one of the maybe one of the better remakes, especially from that time. So give it a spin. Uh, watch the unrated one. Watch all the gore and its glory, and uh, enjoy. Uh, yeah, Evil Dead remake 2013. Okay, so the Patreon pick was by um, uh, Tristan Collier. He got three of them this month. So he said, pick a 70s movie that you've not seen. And since Yalfet Kodo just recently died, I decided to do Blue Collar, directed by Paul Schrader, starring Yalfet Kodo, Richard Pryor, Harvey Keitel, Ed Bagley Jr.'s in here, some other familiar faces. Um, if you guys don't know this about me, I am a part of a union. I work in a place that manufactures truck parts. So I do have some connection to this movie. So this story follows, uh, this movie is basic story about three union workers who are friends, Yelfet, uh, Pryor, and Keitel. And they decide to rip the union off because they feel like the union's constantly lying and been ripping them off and hasn't done much for them. So one day they decide to steal some things from them, uh, break into the safe, and they end up getting this kind of uh, really weird paperwork that's really kind of shaky that looks like these kind of high interest illegal loans. And they decide, what what they're going to do with it. Uh, I like this movie a lot because they have these different personalities inter interacting and they're all great actors, all different styles and everything like that and all different demeanors in the movie as well. Um, and this is something different for Richard Pryor. They all have these different lives and they all need the money for different reasons and uh, you like all of them even if they do some shady things like cheat on their wives and stuff like that. I enjoyed watching them for sure. And Yalfet Kodo is one of my favorite parts of the movie. Um, but it's just like when the way they talk to the union and the way they talk in general, it felt very real, especially if you've ever been or worked in a place like this. You end up talking like that a lot of the times. You end up saying like cuss words and every other word when you're mad and stuff. And there's this great scene where the media comes to interview yeah, uh, anybody that's in the union hall about after the union meetings up about what happened or what they have to say about the stolen money and uh Yalfa Kodo they say what do you think of it? he's like get the fuck out of here with that and that's just it's like man so many guys I know would have done the same thing if they stuff the camera in the face get the fuck out of here with that and that's just like perfect love it but uh, I really like this movie I think it's tremendous um and and stuff takes a dark turn um the acting's great um and and then just the stuff how you see how different it was back then and you know the union's not as strong as it used to be but uh that corruption probably helped that uh, um, but it's just never have I watched a movie in my life where I wanted to quit my job. I literally, as much as this, I was like, man, I just want to quit. I just want to walk out of here and call it a day and never come back to this shithole factory again in my life. Um, just, it really captures the seventies. It really captures that working environment. Um, it really captures it very well. It feels very legit to me. Um, I, I thought this was a great movie and, and what the union, how it works to tear people apart 
And uh, Yafut Koto says that too. They turn the old against the li young, the lifers against the new guys, the blacks versus the whites. And he's right. And and they show that in the movie. That's pretty much the whole premise of the film. And there's there's never really any racist things uh, said between the three guys, even though they're completely different. But at the end of the movie, when people change and, and things happen and you see your chance and you take it and it completely morphs everyone, that stuff is on the underlining. And when people get very upset, when they get very mad at each other, Sometimes that stuff comes out, unfortunately. Ritual shows that with the homophobia. Um, and Blue Collar shows it here with the racism, like that hatred that is underlining or this that you know it will upset the person the most, so they go right for it. And it's just uh, it's just a true nature of human beings, unfortunately, at times. And that stuff in there, and, and like as far as people have come, sometimes it's like, man, have we changed at all? Are we any different than we were? It's just uh, a great movie, and I, I just you see these characters, and you don't really know, you know, you don't expect them to do what they do but uh there's one point when one of the characters calls it on him and and he's kind of right but uh great movie loved all the acting from all three of the leads was fantastic not a weak link in this film but uh blue collar there's a commentary by uh paul schrader which i listened to some of and it's very interesting uh these guys did not get along uh guys ruining each other's takes yelling at each other getting in fights and shit so uh a great movie by three great performances and you know what yelvet coda kind of played a, a working class guy in alien too right after this so uh, i've always felt like Parker and Brett were my favorite in Alien as I got older just because I could relate to the two because they're kind of like the ship's like workers the goons you know what I mean I was like that's me I'm that guy I'm the guy working down in there uh, getting probably paid less than everybody to die uh yeah so blue collar great movie Okay, for the Survival 5, I only got one for you this week, and it is from TLA uh Danger After Dark and it is Brent Leonard's Feed. Yeah. I I'd seen this a long time ago. I probably probably reviewed it, but Oh, man. If you guys haven't seen Feed, you're in for a treat or a hundred treats, depending. Um, this is a super weird movie. It's very, it's low budget. Um, Brent Leonard um, is a director that you guys might know. He did Lawmore Man, Virtuosity, and The Dead Pit. Yeah. So he's a director I knew, but I know him even more so because he was born in Toledo, which is where I'm from, and which is where Feed actually ends up taking place, which I love. So Feed is a weird movie. It's definitely a product of its time, like in 2000. Some, I, I read a review on Letterboxd that I felt was so true. It said, um, very average mediocrity with uh, scenes of super distinctiveness. And I'm like, that is very true. And he gave it a good review. And I'm like, it is very true. Like we have this kind of techno thriller of people online trying to bust things. So basically you have this agent from Sydney, Australia, who has dealt with some really dark subject matters and nasty stuff including uh, a, a case that was very much like the real case from the movie Cannibal um, and uh, Grim Love, where somebody wanted to be eaten, if you guys know that case. So he dealt with a case like that, and uh, he's kind of messed up, and, and it just doesn't seem right at all. So he starts to do some, basically they try to find these like stings online of these, these pedophiles and perverts and people breaking the law, and uh, really dark fetish stuff where it becomes dangerous. So he starts to stumble across this website where it appears to be for feeders and gainers. And feeders are basically people that um, feed these people to, these obese people to ridiculously unhealthy levels and that stuff. And he starts to dig into it. And he looks like this site is not on the up and up. And he thinks that some of these people that are involved with it uh, may be in danger. So um, he starts to become obsessed with it and to his, and starts to like danger, endanger his career. He ends up finding it where everything is with these ridiculous scenes where it's like danger internet that stuff going on and he ends up going there and it's Toledo Ohio and he starts to dig deeper into this person who runs these websites and he starts to catch on and they start to intermingle and we start to realize that 
he is not only feeding these people uh, ridiculous. It's not a fetish, just a fetish for him. It stems from his psychology, but it also is a way he's making money that people are betting on when these unhealthy, overweight people are going to die of a massive heart attack or stroke or anything like that. And it gets grosser and grosser and more wild and insane. And we realize that this this uh, officer also has these demons and from his past stemming from something that happened with his mother, as does this uh, this feeder. So these two have a similarity with each other, and they're also really dark and awful people. And before the end of this movie, I will promise you will be very grossed out. There is these excessive scenes of people eating and being fed, but that's not really what, what is the super gross part. Um, I'm just going to say um, it involves stuff uh, melting things and feeding people stuff that has just hit next level disgust and anytime you involve like sexual things with food it's just it's also very strange um, <laughs> and, and all sorts of things it just gets really bizarre and crazy and they have these weird editing techniques which normally I would hate but the way they do it here it just adds to the grossness of like bodies dismembered you can smell this movie at the same time it's just a gross weird movie and like it's not particularly very popular amongst people some people are like the worst movie ever but I just think it's so weird weird and so gross and so dark that I kind of like it. And I, I know that's very strange to say. I kind of enjoy the film. The alternative ending is absolutely horrible. If they would have done that, the movie would have been bad. <laughs> so I did watch the alternative ending. But overall, I think it's just a, a weird, zany, darkly comedic too at times. Uh, the soundtrack, the choices, the songs they use kind of get stuck in your head. Uh, whether it's the cover of Teeny Beanie, it's uh, it's a uh, she wore an itsy bitsy teeny weeny yellow polka dot bikini. Yeah, they use a cover of that song. All sorts of things. They also use that song in Revenge of the Nerds Part Two, Nerds in Paradise. Um, but yeah, <laughs> gross movie. It's all I can really say. Is it good? Is it bad? It's gross. It's weird. It's different. Um, but uh, yeah, super weird movie. I, I would recommend checking it out for people that like the nasty weird stuff. That is um, Feed from 2005 that takes place in Toledo, Ohio, where I'm from. Hey guys, what's up? It is Blind Spot. We're getting towards the end. This is my pick. This is Ingrid Berg Ingmar Bergman's um, Our, The Hour of the Wolf. Um, yeah, so uh, this stars Max von Sydow and uh, Liv Ullman, both kind of uh, cult actors, uh, very popular actors, I think, in that kind of genre. So um, the, I think the only couple movies of Bergman's I have seen were actually uh, The Serpent's um, Egg and, uh, geez, what's the other one? Oh, oh, tell me what the other one is. Oh, Persona, which is excellent movie. So uh, I put Hour on the the Hour of the Wolf on my list because it was pretty infamous. I heard great things about it, and it was kind of supposed to be like a horror film by him. This is a '68 movie. This is a strange movie. This is really hard for me to talk about. Uh, it, it basically follows. The opening, uh, the structure of it, I think, is probably unique for the time. It has uh, Liv Ullman basically telling uh, her husband disappeared and kind of being vague with everything. And then we kind of have somewhat of a flashback of Max von Sydow as this troubled writer who lives in an isolated island location, surrounded by tons and tons of weirdos and just a lot of paranoia. And I don't even know how to go about it. I you know, it it's hard because like like the movie's kinda like I feel disjointed. Um purposely so. Right. Like like there's more imagery in it, but I feel like it's really a movie about like exploring a guy's like mental breakdown or like psychosis. And, you know, it's one of those things where it's like you know, he runs into all these people, all these weird people, you know, they hang out, like go to like fancy parties. 
then like you slowly start to realize you don't even slowly start to realize it like the last like 10 minutes they left the veil and it's like oh these are all in his head i think possibly they're all... or they're all like maybe perceptions of like an artist who people all want a piece of him or parts of him right it's it's, it's a, a weird movie and like a first time watch can't do something like this justice this is the kind of movie where I, I know this is going to sound like an asshole thing to say, but I could feel like tons of people would be like, oh, it's very simple if you understand the concept of Bergman. But like literally they came from like a film school and read 12 like or like paragraphs or 12 chapters about Bergman and this movie before they ever watched it. And so for there, there's automatically like in the knowing of it and me going in completely blind, just knowing of the director and a little bit of the movie. Like it, it's something that I think... Um, Possibly you need to research, watch a couple times, or have somebody hold your hand the first time just to explain a couple things. Like, just going in blind was, it was like a haunting experience and a vague experience, mm -hmm. and you could tell it involved mental illness and relationships and stuff like that and, and paranoia and all. I, you know, I think, you know, guilt's like a major theme. Yeah. Um, it, it is one of those films where it's like, oh, it's about like the pump punk uprising movement in like the czech republic of like the 70s i'm like what <laughs> <Well>, okay <laughs> uh, no like to be honest though like i thought the acting was really solid and there's these long takes of him just kind of like his wife explaining their financial situation like well i need more money for this he's like okay okay like he doesn't he's completely uninterested in everything right. like that um and like I said, the ending becomes more and more haunting too, like the like of the characters and in the woods and everything being isolated. Uh, there's some funny bits. Maybe it's not really supposed to be funny, but that guy who keeps bothering him and he just hits him and mm -hmm. leaves him laying there. And then later he's confronted with that guy saying that. And he's like... Um, also, the, the moment here, this would be spoiler, when like they show the, the kid scene. Like, yeah. And it just like throwing him overboard and watching him sink. I was like, that's really haunting because that seems like a little bit of realism in this kind of nightmare world of just that's the kind of thing that sticks in your head is that the sinking of the body and knowing the last images when he sinks down like that. Right. Like like the idea is like they're supposed to be isolated on this island. Um, <laughs> this like gremlin kid just bites him. Right. This, this kid <laughs> just bites him. Um, and so like I don't understand that whole scene because like i think like the whole crux of the movie is like this man had an affair on his wife yeah. with some actress and i don't even know if it was when he was with his wife or before was, they never it, really they, they kind of state that it was before and uh that he still has he, like lingering feelings he absolutely is still in love with her kind of and the wife found the diary and read it and that yeah. what you got that lady who told her to read the diary which mm -hmm. you were like that's got to be her from the future i thought which, it was <laughs> it's just strange but who is she otherwise i you know i, I don't really i can't she remember. wasn't at the parties was she i can't remember I don't think she, maybe she was i don't know um, these people are definitely exploiting him right and it's almost like they bring that actress back to the party to just kind of torture him with it well and that that's why i think that all these guys are in his head because in the beginning he starts like explaining to his wife these like characters he's drawing it's, yeah and, it's and like, they all end up in the film and, and like those people that are at the party towards the end become like the things that he was saying like the old woman that takes off her hat and has no face that was but, a great scene that was a great scene that's a, probably my favorite scene in the movie no it takes off her hat and the face comes with it yeah um and uh like like, like the schoolmaster when that's the guy that he punches um so it's like they're there. And the, what do you say about him? The yardstick in his <coughs> pocket or yeah. something like that. So that was a good line. Like I, it's just, a, um, like I said, uh, first view does not do this movie justice. Right. This is a film class film. 
you know, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, I, I'm kind of removed from the culture, I'm removed from the time, the language, you, you know, so I'm, I really don't have like any context to really grip onto when I'm watching it. I will say that I love the acting in it. Um, and w one thing that I, that I always adore, but I, I just feel like I never get to see is like old women acting. Uh, for some reason, there's just, uh, especially it, like if it, they're like like really like really sexual, I don't know why I like yeah, it. You it's need more like, Joan Crawford in your life, right? <laughs> Golden Girls. I don't know what it is, but just Golden Girls. Well, no, but when, when you yeah. throw in um, a lot of uh, like old actresses, I, I don't know why I just really like watching them perform. You should watch some Joan Crawford. You should watch Straight Jacket, Betty Davis. Yeah, but no, Straight Jacket in particular, I think is the one that I think. Oh, Betty Davis is great too with yeah. the nanny and. Um, it's the other one she did, the anniversary. The anniversary. And of course, you really need to watch Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, which I think would be a favorite of yours. Oh, I think I'm going to put that on my I'm list on, for next If you year. don't, I'll put it on your list. Yeah. Because I, I think you need to check it out. And it's so funny that that movie's directed by Robert Aldridge, who did The Dirty Dozen, The Big Knife. And, really? Yeah. Like, and Emperor like the of the Big North. Knife. Emperor of the North and Dirty Dozen, like, by all, by, by all means, are guys' movies. You know what I'm saying? So right. it's, it shows how, how much of a range he actually kind of had. Um, yeah, but I, I really dig this movie. I really like it quite it, a bit. But okay. I don't love it. I don't have like... I like it. I don't love it. I would say that I like the movie, but I hate watching it. <laughs> I, I it's, it's a movie that I'm like, I need to watch this again. And I need to watch it with more context. I should have probably done a little bit more research on that. And I know there's a bunch of people saying, well, you just don't understand the complexities. It's like, and I don't. I don't There ain't it. a bunch uh, of people. I, there's, there's like two people saying that that specialize in this particular yeah. film. Well, like, yeah. I, and they're probably not watching this. If you specialize right. in Bergman, you're definitely not watching two guys on a couch with an owl in the background right. talk about Bergman movies. But anyways, it's, that's why it's on the blind spot. I'm, tr I'm trying to better myself when it comes to my film knowledge and blind spots. Um, so I still need to watch The Virgin, Virgin uh, Spring, which is probably the one I should have picked. That's the one um, that Last House on the Left lifted from. And it's an old folk tale. Oh, really? Yeah, I should have picked that one. Up. Okay. Is that by the same guy? Yeah. Okay. But I, I, Persona, I think, is a great movie. I think you'd really like that, I, I think. I played the video game. What, Persona? Yeah. And I'm not, I'm That's not... not <laughs> I can't imagine that as a video game. <laughs> Can you imagine a Bergman movie as a video game? I don't want to watch Imagine Any You're, movie. like, sitting there with the painting, and it's like, imagine your guilt. Beat your guilt. Name one movie-based video game that's good. Darkman. No, you played Cliffhanger. That. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Nightbreed. Okay. We're not playing, uh, though. We're done. Um, next week, I think, is The Witches, which is your pick, by Nicholas Rogue, which is an insane director to direct that. We um, have to do our um, rating. Oh, and we it's not in either book, which is unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, seven and a half out of ten, and it's a better movie than that. It's just a lack of uh, intelligence on my part. Two out of five. Are you serious? Yeah. Yeah. You're not serious. No, I'm serious. I don't ever want to watch it again. You're canceled. I'm not canceled. You can't cancel me because you need me for the views. <laughs> Everybody's canceled. <laughs> I'm canceled. If I get canceled, I have to do this anymore. I, no. Please no? don't. No. <laughs> Can you guys just cancel him, please? You have a multitude of reasons. I'll email you them if you want. He's like... <laughs> It's like I'm on clogging the toilet and I'm like, I hate people. I just like freaking out, saying horrible things, and it's like you just record me. <laughs> you like Cloverfield. This alright, we're we're done here. Except uh I'm like the little monster the giant monster. 
No, you like the little sewer ones. Yeah, definitely the little yeah, sewer like, ones. Like a flea or something. I don't know what they are. Definitely some sort of parasite that falls off the large creature. But um, we're done here. Oh, yeah. Next week is witches. We said that six times. I think we said that, talked about the witches more than we talked about So that was before we clapped your hand, I okay. think. I can't no, it remember. wasn't. We're done. Okay, bye. Okay, let's get into these questions. Uh, Nick Mua, I don't know if you've seen any Blumhouse The Purge movies. If so, do you feel that American society could ever end up that way? If purging were made law, would you stay inside come purge night, or would you go out and release the inner beast? Do these films perhaps capture America's dread, or are they just mindless entertainment? I would say that they're basically just kind of exploiting the point of people wanting... I... Okay, I've not seen any of them. I started part two, and I was watching it, and all these people were like, these people were out and about like 20 minutes before the purge. Like, we're going to go down to the store to get some stuff last minute. It's like, no, you're fucking not. If there's a purge, you're boarded your house up two days in advance and you're sitting there fucking waiting and preparing for this. And right there, I was like, this movie is far too stupid for the subject matter. And I turned it off. And I know people are like, oh, that's stupid. But it's just, it's just something I was going to give a chance. It didn't sound like I'd like it. But after that, I was like, this is so fucking stupid. Uh, it's just in a world of the purge, ain't nobody going to work that day. Ain't nobody driving around that day even two hours before it okay and that just made me laugh laugh if you ain't going to the hospital two hours before the purge you ain't go you know what i mean like that's the only reason you'd go and you probably wouldn't even go there you'd stay in your house and die it's just stupid it's just so fucking dumb that that was so d insultingly dumb for me to take that and i maybe if i watched it the tone would fit it more but i'm just not gonna watch that movie okay any of them it's too stupid. But do I think something like that could possibly happen? Hell, anything could happen in America at this point. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, I would not go out during the purge. I would be basically uh, building my house up so no one could get in. But I wouldn't... I shouldn't even say any of this, but if somebody literally tried to get in my house, I'm going to, I'm going to turn them to Swiss cheese. I'm going to waste them. I'll probably set landmines in my front yard and fence around and, and post that I put landmines in my front yard. Do not come in here or something like that. But then again, how would I get them out when the purge ended? Cause then it is illegal. If somebody steps on a landmine. So I, I would definitely set booby traps in my yard, stuff like that. And just put warning signs up to say, go away. Uh, I don't want any trouble. Like, I don't want any trouble. I'm barricading my house. I'm going out and killing people like some animal, but I'm definitely not going to let people get in my house. Um, so, uh, basically I, I, could it happen? I don't know. Um, I, I, crazier things probably could happen. Um, if you could go back in time and be part of the original Dawn of the Dead, would you want to play a zombie or a survivor or would work behind the scenes with Mr. Romero? Um, I don't want to ruin the movie, so I don't want to act in it. <laughs> like, can you imagine me being in the background? Maybe it was a small role in the, in the theater or like a, a SWAT guy or a guy in the apartment complex or a biker. I would probably want to play a biker. I think that would be most fun, most in intense. Uh, that or a memorable zombie. I wouldn't want to play one of the main four because I love them so much. Um, and I would like to meet Romero for sure and be on set. Will you be checking out Annabelle Part 5? Annabelle goes home and decides to stay there. Thank God. Uh, no. I know you're joking, but I won't be. Anyways. And then we have, he has a little rant. Sorry to go on about this, but I think I didn't explain my Amityville murders clearly enough. Firstly, you have a point, sir. So many shoddy horror films spray paint Amityville over it in order to make a buck. Who really wants to see Amityville Horror 89 use toilet paper? Tagline so shitty you won't believe it. Murders, however, is a fair mate... Um, fair 
maybe even decent film. It tells a true story about Ronald DeFeo. Uh, so it is, in essence, a reimagining, uh, reimagining of Amityville Horror Part Two. The new film even brings Diane Franklin as Louise DeFeo and Burt Young as her da- as her dad, uh, Brigitte. So I thought eventually you might want to compare the two as you did for the original Amityville and the Platinum Dunes remake. Lastly, Amityville The Awakening featured Jennifer Jason Lee and Kurtwood Smith is okay, sort of, though. They made the lead characters way too dumb and ran. I may. Um, I didn't know. I mean, there's so many Amityville movies. It's just not something that interests me too much after a certain point. So I, didn't, I had no idea. Um, Burt Young's got to be getting up there, huh? And then we have answers. Basically, I ask you, is there any movies that um, uh, are basically very distinct to their culture or their country? So the horror in them. So Zach Nolan, Army of Shadows and Come and See captures its country spheres. I guess those dark dramas, though. Uh, I would highly recommend films at home as well. Uh, come and see is great. Sherlock Horror. First answer I thought of when I asked the question was Wake and Fright. You stole my answer. Haha. <laughs> Another Aussie classic of a horse is Wolf Creek. Imagine being lost in the wild, expansive Australian outback. Already scared enough, scare, scary enough when a guy comes along who you think is your savior, only to turn out to be a serial killer. The fact that it is based on true murder case in Australia fe- further adds to fear factor. The Irish film The Hole in the Ground is loosely based on age-old Irish stories about the foe? Uh, f- the fairy tale, I think, a uh, fairy, a uh, fae folk. Sorry, fae folk, basically fairies, but far more malevolent, malevolent, malevolent. Sorry about that. Jeez, guys, I'm doing it again. Malevolent. They're often said to uh, to spirit innocent people away from simply being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Sometimes replacing them with other fairies. Hole in the ground is about a woman who becomes convinced her son has been replaced by something evil after he wanders into the woods. I suppose many cultures have their own versions of the doppelganger story, doppelganger story, and obviously not many people still believe in those things. But Back in the good old days, warnings to be wary of the fae folk were quite prevalent. Whatever you do, no matter how nice they seem, don't go with them. I've actually seen Hole in the Ground, and I'm not a big fan of that movie. I do think the concept is great. I always like these doppelganger, these changeling stories, but they don't do that much for me. I feel always a little disappointed. Even the Hallows, the Hallows wasn't very great to me, and I love the premise. And um, the short story and Christmas horror story I thought was pretty good, although it was cut up, edited to the point where I had to watch like a bad story next to it but uh yeah um i have seen hole in the ground um i i wanted to like it a lot more than i did other quick mentions are undocumented the found footage movie about illegal illegal immigrants trying to cross the u.s mexico border but being captured and torched by a psychotic vigilante group and of course godzilla well not strictly a horror movie is terrifying metaphor for nuclear destruction from a country which experienced such a thing firsthand only a few years before the movie came out congrats on episode on over 200 episodes here's to 200 more awesome yeah godzilla is a perfect example Peekaboo, video starts, pervert card activated. If you can find any movie uh, done by Koji Watsumatsu, they are Pinku Iga Durama, pink coming-of-age drama and have some great social commentary in them. Some some might be difficult if the individual doesn't know much of Japan, but at the same time, they are so universal, these comments he touches on. A quote from the interview interviewer, Why are you doing the same movie all the time? Koji uh, Wakamatsu replied, Have you seen what the society does towards our young generation? The interviewer stopped after that. A notification, Old boy is South Korean, not Japanese. I literally have no idea what... Everybody was like, Why did you say it was Japanese? And I'm like, What are you talking about? It's not Japanese, it's South Korean. And so I watched my videos like, did I say that? And at the very end of the review, I mentioned it. I like how Japanese movies look. And I'm like, Dave, you are a fucking moron. So I apologize for that. Of course it's South Korean. I don't know what's wrong with me. And then question of the week. Although some might not see them as real horror, more like sci-fi drama or thriller, but I would go for Nihu, or basically AK Japan Sinks from 2006. 
Um, also in 1973 in a recent ongoing Netflix anime series, and they are all based on a book. Basically, every scientist agreed that someday in the future, Japan will sink. Much for the fact that the four tectonic plates keeps moving, which leads into tsunamis, earthquakes, volcanic eruption. National disaster and movies of that sort are, however, universal and can be scary for everyone. Great update and video and nice and really nice of Danny Boy who sent you a uh, seating of a ghost. Really enjoyed that one. Be safe. Uh, dead Flintstone. Um, oh, yeah. Hopefully, Danny Boy, he's having a CT scan. Um, good luck to him, man. Good luck. Hope everything works out well. Uh, dead Flintstone. Interesting question this week. Perhaps Cannibal Holocaust invokes a fear of the jungle and its inhabitants in the Amazon. Dr. Strangelove is extremely competent in illustrating fear of the military-industrial complex gone insane in the good old USA. I love that movie. Lex Crossley. Fuck. Mortem jumped straight to my mind. However, life and death of a porno gang did it for me. Also mentions, now I think of it, Zero Day would be awesome. Scott Shermer, Red State. Nick Mua, Kevin Smith at his best. Uh, Peter England, not sure about the actual question, my bad, but if I get it wrong, but if I get it right, I would go for an American War in London. Rob Kozinski, Senatucci, which is an underrated movie. Uh, I think it's Scandinavian, maybe Swedish. Jamal Potter, No Roy, The Curse. Love it. Um, Derek Keith, Born of Fire. Good movie. It's been a while. That's the genie one, right? Uh, Justin Koch, Frontiers, kind of starts out with a riot dealing with local politics. Lee Jones, Corpse Eaters, an accurate reflection of Canada, 1973. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't Torture a Duckling, the most distilled and powerful look at rural Italy I've seen. Love that movie. My favorite, one of my favorite Fulties. Matthew Cantor, Grabbers. Um, and Christopher Duziba agrees. Love Grabbers, fun drinking movie. Um, Lee Jones, Colorado, the jar, because I mentioned do states too. Uh, Jamal Potter, Onibaba, as well. David Luton, the neon demon, starry eyes, and bliss, all capturing the seedy and very dark side of Los Angeles. Um, John Bludgeoned, a lot of Australians set in the outback. Movies have a unique feel to them. Fair game, road games, Wolf Creek. There's a feeling of dread from the desolation. J.M. Delarusa, they've got the best killer crocodile movies. Black Rogue, Ro uh, Blackwater, Rogue, and Dark Age. Justin Morales, Let the Right One In. Carrillo Waring, a Serbian film, duh. Uh, Nicholas Sanchez, The Devil, 71. That's a hell of a film. Daniel Roebuck LaFleur, Taxidermia, Cool, Hungry. That's a crazy movie. Uh, Kyrian Fisher, Mystics in Bali. And then somebody posts the gif of the heads removing from the body and flying around. Tom uh, Horseball, uh, Under the Shadow. Turning the page. Uh, Era Urvana would psycho count. It kind of did to, to the budget roadside motel what Jaws would later do to the ocean. Road trips have been talked about as an American rite of passage. I think it would. And uh, Ned Christensen agrees. Uh, Jacqueline Jungjinger. Jungjinger? Jungjinger. Inhuman Kiss for sure. Jeffrey Lee. Kwaidan, which is based on Japanese folklore tales, of course. Carol Downing, A Mutant Girl Squad. Skip Barber, a Serbian film. Jonathan Edward Smith, Indonesian horror films are overflowing with re uh, region, culture-specific things. Impetigore, Satan Slave, May the Devil Take You, and so on. No doubt. Rob Monster, um, can't believe no one's mentioned the original Gojira. They did. One person. Uh, Kevin Keegan, well, that was on the... Uh, YouTube, not on Facebook. Kevin Keegan, Chernobyl uh, Diaries. There we go. Dan Chase, Hostel. Russian mob takes over Slovakia. Yeah. And then uh, James D. Cokes, When It Came Out, Battle Royal, Atros 2. 
Rakesh Brown, Bad Taste and Brain Dead. Peter England, New York, Taxi Driver. Shajin Barbarian, Frankenhooker, Very Sleazy New York. Daryl Marsh, Baskin seems geographically specific. I would agree. Samuel Glass Jr., The Wailing is probably the best thing since Train to Busan that K-Hor has done has to offer. One Cut of the Dead could have been said anywhere, but it is fused with indelible Japanese sensibility. Uh, La Llorona is an amazing take on the Latin folklore. Man! And then I did the Seymour. I could have swore I clicked the Seymour thing because these are good answers too. Sorry, if I remember, I'll read the rest of them next week. I keep doing that, but sometimes I just have way more things on here than I, I, I didn't see it. I always click that too. Sorry. James Bicker, Killer Snakes, Hong Kong Snake Market, and Zuma. And Watson, uh, The Hunt. 2020 is the mess that is the West. Dan Chase, Watson, you mean mess of a movie, am I right? Oh, Rye Guy, it's a thriller and one of my personal favorites, but I think Judgment Night could count for that as well. The seedy underbelly society in modern suburbia, for that matter. People under the stairs could count as well. Hell, even Last House on the Left. Jeez, I missed a bunch of these. Sorry, I didn't click see more. I think he says Hills Have Eyes, too. Um, and I would agree that those feel American, Last House on the Left. Sherman Hirsch, Godfather 3. And we got... Ugh. Then we got Eric Poe, Serpent and the Rainbow. And then some comments. Isimicio, I remember watching Cash, uh, Cache back when I was a teen and really liking it. But I can't for the life of remember anything but the strange recordings slash tapes in the movie. I'm in the minority but never been crazy about Jordan Peele's films. I think they're good, but that's about it. Never felt the need to revisit them one after one watch. However, I do like to see what projects he's dabbling in. And I'm a huge fan of Key and Peele. Exorcism of Emily Rose was a no-go for me. Watched it in theater and didn't enjoy it. Dry and tedious. Something about Lara Lini screams early 2000s courtroom drama. Hex is awesome. Films from Iran, Iran and Turkey, though few in numbers, utilize a lot of cultural folklore that translates to overarching fears and superstitious beliefs. Baskin is a movie that comes to mind and their vision of hell. Under the Shadow wove real-life events into the narrative. Great update. Thank you. Simon Lang. Old boy is not Japanese, Philic. It's South Korean. Again, I don't know what the hell I was doing. Um, Ken Coakley, when you were talking about people who think that the remake of Dawn of the Dead was better than the original, I thought of one night in 2005. I went with my best friend to see Land of the Dead. After the movie, an employee asked us what we thought of it and he said we said we liked it he said that he thought dawn was better i said that i agreed as it was a classic i told him that my brother saw dawn on the same theater in 79 the employee said that he meant the 2004 version was the best as you said and i agree the original dawn had a memorable quotes a couple weeks ago our cable in rehab conked out for almost a week and nurse tried to turn it on and there was just snow and i turned around and said there hasn't been a single in three days why don't you just give up the nurse in a haitian accent said there must be someone I guess he's a fan too. <laughs> Love it. Uh, another time, my best friend who happens to be a woman dragged me to the second Twilight film. I went to the concession stand where the employee who were kids were guessing what the grindhouse standee in the lobby was and what grindhouse meant. I told them that the grindhouse was the, and mentioned the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre at the point of reference. The girl who was 16, if she was a day over, said that the remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre was so much better than the original. I almost fainted. Everyone has a right to their opinion, but they should also be an open mind and realize that from the 2005 King Kong isn't a masterpiece, while the 33 version is a, is a dud because it's black and white. That they should also have an old mind realize that the two isn't a masterpiece. I think he means like that they shouldn't just do that. But yeah, um, I understand. Like, I, like I said, it's it's mostly younger people. Like people like it's a gender doing it. It's just young people. And I, you know, when I was younger, I, I don't want to say all young people or anything like that. But when I was younger, I probably had ridiculously crazy opinions too, like that. And it's just way maybe how that stuff connects with you, nostalgia and things like that. But I just will never accept that the remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre or the remake of Dawn of the Dead is better than the original. It's just. I'm going to say objectively not. I don't care if that's right or wrong because yeah, I just can't. Not even comparable to me. 
It's, I would think you're insane if you thought that. But I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's just the way I think. And I know it's opinions and stuff, but I just think they're crazy. Um, uh, and I have my opinion. I can think you're crazy if I want. That's my opinion. Uh, um, he didn't ship. Hey, dude, I've been suffering for a long time. Uh, I love your movie collection. It's so cool. I remember seeing a video with someone with a movie collection like that and have been collecting for four years. Thank you. Cool. Thank you. Uh, Kentuckinator, whenever you want to take a week off, you should update a Family Ties-style clip show where you and Jeremy accidentally lock yourself in the basement to buy time until help comes. You reminisce about some of your best and worst reviews. Get Mark Price to guest star. Great. Man of Steel, would love to see reviews of Seeding the Ghost, Black Magic, and Hex. Those films look awesome. Have known about them for a long time, but haven't tracked them down. And then we have uh, a Bahura Man 49. Oh man, you're in for a treat with the Shaw horror titles, especially Seeding of a Ghost. Some of the best horror slash doors to come out of Hong Kong in the early 80s. Hopefully someone will release the big one, The Boxer's Omen, on Blu-ray soon. Okay, so uh, basically, let me just ask this question off the top. What's your favorite Shaw Brothers movie? Um, I've seen a handful, uh, Legend of Seven Golden Vampires, not as many as I'd like to. So what is your favorite Shaw Brothers film? Um, yeah. That's, that's the question of the week. Very simple, very easy. Let's get back. Let's hop in the update now. Okay, let's hop into this update. I'll get the non-Kino stuff out of the way first. So we have Castle Freak, the remake. I heard mixed things about this, but it was cheap. And I don't know why I'm a sucker. I was like, I, I, I have the Castle Freak remake. It said on Shutter. I didn't even watch it for the year-end show. And then I was like, oh, I'm buying it, though. That's just collector mentality. I will watch it eventually. Um, Psycho Gorman. I love it. Everybody needs to stop saying Psycho Gorman. Please. Was it Heeman? Is it Beastman? Is it Superman? It's Goreman. Psycho Goreman. It, I, it's driving me crazy. Anyways, I uh, love this movie. Favorite of the year so far. I've only watched three, though. I absolutely adore it. Very, very funny. Psycho Goreman. Okay, then we have Promising Young Woman. Love this movie. Uh, this is one of my favorite, if not my favorite movie that came out last year. I saw it in theaters. It was the last, it was the, like well, the only movie I saw in theaters that year. Um, love this movie. So uh, absolutely adored it. Um, great stuff. Uh, check out the review we did. Then we have Hostel. I, Hostel 1 and 2. The um, original Mill Creek uh, release was garbage. It um, The sound was out of sync at the end of Hostel, so I picked this one up. It was relatively cheap, like 5 bucks or something like that. So it's both Hostel movies. And then, ooh, this is still kind of half-sealed. We have the Cauldron Film stuff came in. First, we have, um, what is this one called? Mas Alla del Terre. I know, Beyond Terre. Um, great cover. I've seen that cover before, Beyond Terre, but I don't think this was ever released in the States. Never, ever released in the States. I think I just saw it on, like, websites and stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, very cool. Looks very fun. I think it's Spanish, if I'm not mistaken. And then, of course, we have The Crimes of the Black Cat, a Sergio Pastore film. Don't think this one ever had a release in the States as well. So, uh, yeah, very cool. Love that we got another company out here putting stuff out. And now we're going to go into the big Kino order. Okay, 26 different things. Biggest order I ever placed with them. We have The Taking of Beverly Hills. I think this is Brian Sauer likes this movie, so that's probably why I picked it up. Listen to Pure Cinema Podcast. Unflick. Um, Unflick. Uh, Melville movie. I know he's big in the crime films. Oop, dropping it. But I've never seen it, so yeah. I imagine it's pretty good. <laughs> pretty popular, so. Then we have... I'll get one of this bad boy out of here first. The Outer Frickin' Limits. That's right. Finally picked this up. Had to have it. 
Um, I have seen, I feel like, a couple episodes. I'm not 100%, but uh, great classic show. And then, how can I have one without the other? We got Outer Limits Season 2. Not as big as the first one. And they also sent the fixed disc that came with it. And now we have the other titles. I had to have the United States release of Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia. Um, I have the Arrow Awesome Edition, but uh, I just had to have this movie. I love this movie, so couldn't pass it up. Also, the United States release of The Train. John Frankenheimer, Burt Lancaster. Never seen this one. Looks great. Here it's great. So check that out for sure. Then we have Spetters by, uh, yeah, isn't this a uh, Paul Verhoeven movie? Pick this one up after watching uh, The Fourth Man. Of course, I know his American movies, but that one I always heard was very good. And then we have, um, where is it? And Hope to Die. Um, Robert Ryan and Aldo Ray. I know this is a French film, but I'm a big Robert Ryan fan, and Aldo Ray, I like him too. So uh, look at him being crazy on the back, Aldo Ray. But uh, yeah, I'm sure this is great. Never seen it. And then we have uh, Hitchcock's Lifeboat. Can't go wrong with Hitchcock, right? So, here this is a classic movie, of course. Here are lots of good things about it. I might have seen part of that on TV looking at the back there. It looks very familiar. Then we have Thursday. Didn't even know they put Thursday out. I did not know. This is a cool crime film. Uh, Thomas Jane, Aaron Eckhart, James Lee Gross, Mickey Rourke, Glenn Plummer's in this too. I remember this movie pretty well. Good one. Good one. Been years since I've seen it. I'll have fun revisiting it. Then we have the Spiral Staircase. Hear good things about this one for sure. Classic horror film. Britana Hospital, which is part of the um, the Lucky Man movies. There's three of them. What is it? If Britana Hospital and Oh Lucky Man, all starring uh, Malcolm McDowell. Not seen this one. These are supposed to be pretty wild. Who is it? Lindsay Anderson's the director. So I don't think Lucky Man ever had a Blu-ray stateside. Maybe anywhere. I know If got a Criterion. So then we have the Cat and the Canary. Slayground, which I have reviewed. I have the old DVD. Not a great movie, but I kind of just wanted it after seeing it. Maybe revisit down the line at one point. Newman's Law. The Vikings. Kurt Douglas, Tony Curtis, Ernest Borgnine, Janet Lee. Good cast. Panic in Year Zero. Ray Milan, Frankie Avalon. <laughs> then we have Apache uh, with Burt Lancaster, of course, as a Native American, which is probably very accurate, right? <laughs> Old movies, man. Love that. They always did shit like that. Classic, right? Evil Under the Sun. Looks like a murder mystery, possibly. It looked fun. Had a good, had one of those like movies with like a huge cast in it. So you're always like, it's gonna be fun just to watch a bunch of good actors mingle it up. Man of the East with Terrence Hill.
The Hills Run Red. Henry Silva, of course, right? Can't go wrong with him. I believe this is a Spaghetti Western, is it? Yep. So, can't go wrong with Spaghetti Westerns. And then the home stretch. Death Before Dishonor. Never seen this one. Last Year in Marienbad. I always hear great things about this movie. Never seen it, of course, so had to grab it. Um, the Mask. This has a 3D version as well. Looks pretty pretty bonkers. Ooh, no, one fell. The trick, a trick baby. And the Norseman. Is that Alex Cord in the top right? Sometimes you can't tell the illustrations. trying to see it's lee majors it's lee majors okay so yeah that's the update back to the video guys okay guys thank you very much for watching and as always have a good one Beep.